Well, the 2018 NFL Draft officially done, and the Buffalo Bills found themselves a quarterback. They found themselves a franchise linebacker and a couple of other players to fill in some empty spaces that they had throughout the roster. Welcome into the Bills Beat, the uh, the post-draft wrap-up here on the Bills Beat. However, you're tuning in, whether it be on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Thank you for joining in. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me, as always, Matthew Fairburn of NewYorkUpstate.com. The Bills, going from first to last, got Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds. They got Harrison Phillips, the defensive tackle that uh, everyone, it seems like every fan, is hoping becomes the next Kyle Williams, even though he's kind of not Kyle Williams. Um, Teron Johnson. uh, Saran Neal is another one. Wyatt Teller. Then there was Ray Ray McLeod and Austin Prohl, all right in a row. That is the uh, the draft class of 2018, and then we'll wait to see who they bring in as undrafted free agents. I believe they only have 12 roster spots open. At, nine at, reported so far. Nine reported, There's, so only... only th- from last count. Only three more to go. So, the Bills did exactly what they wanted to do. They got the quarterback, they got the linebacker, everything else on top of that was gravy. Yeah, I mean... They can't, even Brandon Bean said he didn't think they could come in and get you know a quarterback and a linebacker uh, and you know in the first round or a quarterback in Tremaine Edmonds I think more sure. specifically um, I don't know you know obviously I think they knew Roquan Smith would be um, completely unattainable but mm-hmm. Tremaine Edmonds was good value where they got him um, not you know amazing value it's not like the number one player in the draft fell to number sixteen but. He probably fell five spots farther than people were expecting. And the fact that John Gruden passed on him twice didn't hurt them. Uh, yeah, they only had to give up a third-round pick. so The Tyrod pick, Yeah, too, th- so thanks to Tyrod Taylor. A for... pick that was practically gifted to them right. uh, at the last minute you know, for a player that they were probably going to cut. So to get, you know, it did hurt them, I think, on the second day to not pick until, you know, the final pick of the evening mm-hmm. when a lot of talent came off the board mm-hmm. in the second round, uh, particularly at positions like wide receiver uh, that they could have been, you know, and running back where they could have done some damage if they wanted to. I I was a little surprised they didn't come out of this draft with a running back. Yeah. I think that's, it's one of those positions where I feel like I just look back to what they did in Carolina, and and they were just middling at that position. I mean, they had Jonathan Stewart that they spent on the position way long ago, and then D'Angelo Williams before that, and and it was always just kind of, uh, yeah, we're good. We're good until we're not, and then once we're not, we'll draft one. And so I think maybe next year is the year we see them put a legitimate resource into running back. Uh, there's a there's a few different positions they could really target here. Three technique defensive tackles, another one um, line, offensive line, wide receiver, running back, all of those. But they feel like they're in a good spot. So, yeah, if they were able, let's say Tremaine Edmonds was off the board and they stood at 22 or maybe they traded up to 18 to go get Leighton Vanderesh and still kept one of those second-round picks, maybe a running back is here and um, and to be the primary backup. But they also did just sign Chris Ivory to a pretty weighty backup contract too. So, I don't know. I'm not... I, I, they did exactly, in terms of the positions they addressed, they did exactly as kind of I thought it would go. It, I mean, quarterback and linebacker were the big two. They always addressed defensive linemen. That's that's a notable thing in the Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean regime, I think. And then outside of that, they were just trying to create depth at other positions. They didn't go early on offensive line. They didn't go early on wide receiver. And I just, I just don't know that it was ever in the cards for them. No, the draft class wasn't very good at wide receiver. And I think all during the spring, it was pretty clear that they felt strong about their offensive line for whatever reason, mm-hmm. uh, agree or disagree. They like Ryan Groy, Russell Bodine, Vlad Dukas, Jordan Mills, and obviously Deion Dawkins. They feel pretty good about wide receiver, again, for whatever reason. A lot of people think that's a glaring need and I would agree that they probably could have used uh you know a better prospect than they landed I mean Ray Ray McLeod and Austin Prohl are both probably slot receivers Ray Mm -hmm. Ray McLeod seems like a huge project because he hasn't you know he's moved around he's played some defense I mean 
we'll see. He's got some return ability, but seems a bit redundant with Kalen Clay. And then Austin Prohl, Brandon Bean's known him since he was eight years old, right. so it's not too big of a secret why and they passed, he got drafted. But he did run four four one, and you know, he his dad is Ricky Prohl, the seventeen year NFL receiver. So if, I'm sure he's gotten schooled up pretty well on route running. I've never watched the kid play, but mm-hmm. um, you know, a five foot nine, one hundred and eighty pound receiver is probably fighting an uphill battle. But he does have some of that speed that right they do pretty badly need at the position they even passed like in the sixth round for ray ray mcleod i mean they passed on a guy like equinamius st brown and, and he dropped but i mean he still they got passed that passed on marcel aitman yeah and, too and odd and tate they had the those guy. size size speed combination guys that you well maybe not odd and tate for that but that you would sit there and go all right well that that seems like it would provide some good depth for them and provide something a little bit unique and something they might like. But I think what they wanted to do was create some competition for Jeremy Curley at slot receiver because, you know, Jeremy Curley four years ago was a solid slot receiver. Jeremy Curley now, how old is he, like 31 years old? Something along those lines? Yeah, he's not young. So when he, he's 29. So when he is, I mean, and he hasn't had a lot of production. Uh, He didn't have a lot of production last year with the Jets. So I think they just want to create some sort of semblance of competition at that spot. Otherwise, he'll just be handed the job. And I don't know. I, I mean, Ray Ray McLeod, it, that was, a, like you said, project. That's the way it seems. Austin Prohl's kind of interesting um, for that, you know, especially since they know it's in his blood and they, they tend to like those, uh, those uh, in, in the NFL anyway, they tend to like people that, have the bloodline. Yeah, a little bit of nepotism. Yeah, in, exactly. In, in a way, but he might figure in. I don't know. What's where. interesting to me to watch as they get farther along, and somebody asked me the question at one point. You know, do you think that? Uh, I think it was when I was on Facebook or something. They asked if you know now that they've made all these trades. Do you think that? And now that they have the quarterback, do you think Brandon Bean will? not be trading as much basically mm-hmm. and i kind of think that he he won't be trading quite as much in the sense that there's not that many players left on the roster that aren't theirs and right. so i'm interested to see how they behave as an organization with their own guys mm-hmm. for instance would it have been the worst idea when the value started falling on the board to take another quarterback to push Nathan Peterman. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would have been that bad of an idea, but Nathan Peterman's their guy. Mm -hmm. He's, you know... Well, so is A.J. McCarron, too. And so is A.J. McCarron. And, you know, for... And we'll probably, you know, we'll get into the Josh Allen discussion, but, you know, to sit there and say, you know, let's not forget the work that A.J. and Nathan have put in. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well... They've been here for two weeks, so let's <laughs> pump the brakes sure. on that. In, in the sit- offense that they, that Allen will also be running. Exactly, and and the wide receiver position made me think of that as well because Kelvin Benjamin is their guy. Um, Zay Jones is their guy. And we already saw how that situation, you know, was kind of swept under the rug with what Zay Jones went through earlier this offseason. So, I mean, heck, even Kalen Clay is their guy. They went right. and brought him they back after him trading back. for him. So it's just interesting to me, you know, we'll see how they handle that. You know, it's very clear who are, are their guys and, and who aren't. And, you know, I think we'll see a few years down the line. Will they legitimately bring in competition? Will they consider offers to shop these guys you know how important will it be really to stockpile picks Mm -hmm. when you don't need them for a quarterback and i i do say that it's a bit encouraging that they did what they did stockpiling picks because it's one thing that dave gettleman is awful at and (laughs) you could say that that he was awful at every minute of this podcast and no one would disagree with you i mean we talked about how insane he would have been to not trade down, not take a quarterback and take a running back. He did it, and now everyone in the uh, like the Twitter sphere is like, "Oh my God, what is Dave Gettleman doing?" He's just been pretty bad at stockpiling picks. Mm-hmm. Brandon Bean seems to be 
not as bad at that. You know, they they did a good job of stockpiling picks, but like I said, are they going to do as good a job when it involves maybe trading a guy that is one of their picks? True. And I think that's a really important quality for a general manager to have that even Ted Thompson didn't have. Right. It was all about his guys and, you know, clinging to them a little bit too long. I think to know when to pull the ripcord, right. which I, is a very it's important a good quality, and I know people hate to hear this, but it's I think what Bill Belichick does really well: admit his mistakes, move on quickly. He makes a lot of mistakes, Bill Belichick. If you look back at his draft history mm-hmm. and the free agent signings, he misses a lot. But where he's able to do that is because he's willing to admit it and move on, and not you know get himself too deep into the weeds. Uh, you know, with some high investments. I mean, he's not afraid to, you know, I don't know that Bill Belichick has any guys. You know, he kind of detaches himself a lot in that way. So I think that's important, and it's something I really wonder about. Mm -hmm. You know, how often Nathan Peterman gets brought up kind of bugs me in a way because it's like I understand that you want to stand by this kid, but he's a fifth-round pick. I also you don't have a significant investment in him at all. I also wonder if that's. I I think we'll we'll know more about this next year, two years down the line, once they they actually do have to make those tough decisions on those guys. But Brandon Bean also didn't draft Nathan Peterman, right? And so the, the idea that let's say he doesn't develop the way that they want him to over the course of this next year. And maybe Brandon Bean sees that and takes a quarterback at some point on day three next year to try and uh, try and get another project backup quarterback going within the organization. I think really the only, uh, I guess, link he has to Nathan Peterman is the fact that his buddy drafted him, Sean McDermott. So I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess we'll have to see with Brandon Bean about what he wants to do. I mean, he also did cut Kalen Clay after trading for him. So there's that example. And it's a small example because, because it's Kalen Clay. It's Kalen Clay. But but the uh, Peterman one's interesting yeah. to me because they had Cardale Jones on the roster. And say what you will, we even talked about it a little bit, that Cardale Jones to Josh Allen is not a perfect comparison. Mm-hmm. But big arm, mm-hmm. you know, um, sort of some accuracy and mechanics issues that needed to be worked out and seeing the defense and all that. And again, it wasn't Brandon Bean who, um, it was Brandon Bean who traded him, but it wasn't Brandon Bean who was put in that position because mm-hmm. once Brandon Bean took the job, trading Cardell Jones actually did make sense because you're sitting there, well, we just picked Peterman, so what exactly, quarterbacks. Yeah, what exactly are we doing, what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, but could have kept him on the roster. Mm-hmm. Could have just cut TJ Yates but again there's it's going to be interesting to follow because that was the one thing I kept picking up on in you know the press conferences was you know Sean McDermott kept wanting to circle back to the guys on the roster you know wanted to bring up Tanner Vallejo you know Tanner Vallejo should not beat out Tremaine Edmonds no and even you know there was there was a reluctance remember last year to put Matt Milano on the field this idea that guys have to earn it. and I, But also this time last year, there was an outright reluctance to even say Tredavious White would figure into the starting right, quarterback and then he job. he jumped right in. That's yeah. why I don't even believe yeah. the Tremaine Edmonds talk. He's right. going to start, like I said, put a C on his chest. He like might, the guy should be the borderline, be a captain. As he, a might, he might be a pro bowler his first right. year. That's I mean, how good he could be. If you give him the chance and give him you know the the ability to have some freedom in the defense, he could be big time for you very early so mm-hmm. i get it it's better than the flip side of naming three starters off the bus uh, in shack loss and reggie raglan and adolphus washington Oof. the way doug whaley did a year ago or a few years ago but there there is a little bit of the it just put the thought in my head of okay what's it you know because they have a decision to make on kelvin benjamin and mm-hmm. eventually a decision to make on Zay Jones. This is a big year for Zay Jones. You only get so long to uh, develop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last year was not promising for him. So you need to kind of identify where you're at at that position. And obviously, they're not going to move on from Zay Jones next year. But if you're picking high and there's a receiver there, 
you know, you can't punt on that position just because you have Zay Jones unless he really shows you something. Yeah, it's a fair point and a fair criticism because we, quite frankly, don't know what they'll do in those situations. And and also to your point, I remember Brandon Bean saying something along the lines of, hey, you know, you don't want to get in, in a situation where you're drafting guys that don't make your 53. And that's another kind of little window into the soul there. Like, okay, maybe his guys are his guys and... You know, is there a legitimate reason to have both Ray Ray McLeod and Austin Prohl on the roster if they're competing for the same position? And maybe you cut, uh, I guess wide receiver is a bad example because they don't have a lot of depth there. But still, at, at the same, well, here's another same question. point, what, uh, what, where do you draw the line? Is it worth having A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman on the roster? True. I mean, if... Is it? I mean, yeah, that's that's a great question to ask. If Because I think there's this idea out there that Nathan Peterman, oh, at the very least, Nathan Peterman's going to develop into a solid backup. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, it's, not, it's easier said than done to develop into a solid backup, and what we saw was not backup-level quarterbacking, uh, not even close. Really. He did turn it around in that snow game, for what it's worth. For a couple of quarters uh, against right. the Colts who were pretty bad on True. defense last year. In terrible so, conditions though. Right. So yeah. he he could develop into a backup, but there's no guarantee. So how soon are you willing to pull the ripcord? Right. Because you're paying a guy backup money who's been a solid backup in this league already. So I think there's a for the fact that he really isn't costing them a lot on the cap and uh, there's an outright hesitation within the NFL to pull that ripcord on the quarterbacks that even you take later on just in case they do develop and you don't want to be like, ah, why did I do that so early? Uh, because sometimes it takes a little bit of time for those guys. And, you know, there's, I guess we'll have to see in in uh, the OTAs and all of these offseason workouts and then in a training camp exactly if Nathan Peterman will show a little bit of something. Because, hey, if he can beat AJ McCarron for that backup job. They've they got a, cut him. They've got a great backup. They yeah. <laughs> they, they've got a great situation on their hands. I mean, you don't always need three quarterbacks. Uh, often you don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something to watch because they, you know, went with two last year and it worked out okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they didn't even really have a reliable backup and they still went with two. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, you're paying a guy backup money. And you also knew that you were going to draft a guy. So it was funny that I think outside perception uh, from a, a few um, you know, podcasts I listen to, fantasy stuff, things of that nature, is you know, if they draft a quarterback, Peterman could get cut, which you know, I think is not the common perception here in no. town because we know how Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott feel about Nathan Peterman. So... It's just an interesting thought of, you know, would they be, how soon would they be willing to admit, hey, mm-hmm. this guy, A.J. McCarron's a better backup. That's why we're paying him the money. Or if he's not a better backup, you know, maybe you move on and, and go with two quarterbacks, Peterman and, and Josh Allen. But it, a lot of it will depend on mm-hmm. how soon Josh Allen is ready to start because yeah. Peterman is not starting over Allen or McCarron, I don't think. Well, before we, we really jump, head first into that and I'm sure there's going to be plenty more podcasts devoted to that exact topic the rest of their draft class I think in all they they brought on I want to say five guys who could actually make an impact somewhat of an impact this year I mean Josh Allen could win the starting job and even if he doesn't everyone's going to be talking about him the entire season uh Tremaine Edmonds should already be the starting middle linebacker and, as you said, m- might even be competing for a C on his chest <laughs> or whether or not he doesn't have the C and Lorenzo Alexander gets it this time around and then and then he, you know, he does like a little mentorship program with Lorenzo Alexander. Harrison Phillips will be the main rotational one-technique guy. I um, want to get into him a little bit too because I think the, the Kyle comparisons are still running rampant even though they shouldn't be. And uh, Teron Johnson... He could win the nickel job. I am mean, expecting that. Philip Gaines is, I mean, he's he's been fine. Maybe not even great. Not even that good in the NFL. So there's a very, very real chance that he wins a, a, a legitimate position. And then, you know, the uh, Wyatt Teller. I mean, I don't think they're expecting him to come in and win a job. I think they 
they think he'll probably be depth. But if he comes in here and, you know, pushes some guys on their ass, then I think they're going to have to rethink some things. And maybe if they see Russell Bodine struggling at center, Ryan Groy's got that flexibility. So I did notice something, though. On the Bills' official roster on their website, all last year Ryan Groy was listed as a center. He's now listed as a guard. So that, that could be a another window into thinking, all right, well, they're they're just locked in on those five guys right now to be uh, the starting offensive line. Yeah, and we've seen before, and that, that sort of brings brings it back to that that conversation of, you know, we saw last year Vlad Dukas was their guy, and they quickly moved to that and never budged. And a lot of times people were wondering, you know, why is this happening? And same thing, it took them a while to budge to Matt Milano. So when I look at, you know, the brief amount I've watched Wyatt Teller, I think, find a spot for this guy. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he mentioned that last year his coaches didn't want him taking so many penalties, which is why from 2016 to 2017 he kind of fell off a bit because he didn't have that same mean streak. Coach it back into him. Let mm-hmm. him, let him, you know, have that mean streak against, you know, NFL-sized and NFL talent, you know, defensive linemen, and I think you might have something there. Uh, he was a guy that I think could have gone a lot higher if he built on his 2016 season rather than taking a step backward. Yeah, I don't think he's allowed a sack since, like, 2015, mm-hmm. and he allowed five pressures all year, according to Pro Football Focus. So you watch him, and, you know, he's super strong, and he can move, he can pull. So there should be a competition there and he should have a chance to fit in. And like you said, that could mean Groy kicks into center. That could mean Groy kicks into guard. Um, it's in or right guard. It's interesting how, um, reluctant they were to make him a guard mm-hmm. last year when they, you know, could have put him at right guard, uh, and, you know, maybe had some success. They didn't want to do it. And now when they have an opening at center, they didn't want to put him at center. So part of me wonders, how much do they really believe in this guy? Right. Uh, I know they, they matched the, t- the offer, but it's not like he's getting paid all sorts of money, and this is the final year of that deal. They also so, went out of their way to talk him up after the initial voluntary workout sessions. Too. Right, which is you know part out of necessity probably because mm-hmm. they didn't have anybody else. True. So, um, but yeah, that, I mean, John Miller's there. Right. Well, that, but he... I get such an eye roll when they bring up the voluntary workouts. The uh, Ryan Groy has shown a ton of leadership. Jordan like, Mills. Sean, you've been here for six hours. How has he shown leadership? You know, like, what are you talking about? Or, or you know, A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman have been putting in the work. Josh Allen was here the same day they were. Yeah. You know, visiting. So, and you put him through a private workout. He's borderline had as much exposure to Brian Dable <laughs> as these two guys. You know, A.J. McCarron's been stretching for two weeks. So let's not disrespect all that work he's been putting in. I mean, I do know that McCarron and Peterman have both gotten together um, outside of the realm of uh, the the Bills on field stuff and have done some work through the playbook. Um, I don't think coaches aren't allowed to be there, but I they have been doing that. So at least there's. But it's two weeks. Yes, they've had the playbook for two weeks. Yeah. You know, Brandon Bean mentioned how far ahead they are and how much Josh Allen has to catch up. It's two weeks. Also found it really interesting that the exact guy that A.J. McCarron seemed to be against in, in the way that he brought up that quote, like, hey, how often do you throw the ball 60 yards down the field? Rarely. Very rarely. He's like, everything is with timing and accuracy. And yeah. I'm draft Josh Allen. Uh, Which, who encapsulates exactly what he's talking unintentional about. Unintentional comedy. And who used to tweet about A.J. McCarron's wife. He sure did. You know, those may be his most problematic tweets when he steps in the locker room. <laughs> He'll go up to AJ and be like, hey, AJ. Yeah. Is Catherine here? <laughs> that's that's it's, very real. It's going to be awkward in the quarterback room for oh, a yeah. second, I think. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that's going to be an interesting situation as it begins to play out because I think when you draft a quarterback, the clock immediately starts ticking. Yes, and, and as it should, especially when you move up to get him and – I know this is in, in their control, but it's also the the earliest a quarterback has ever been picked by the Buffalo Bills. They made a huge statement in going up to get him. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if there was any uh, quarterback in this draft that was rated higher than Josh Allen for them. I thought for a long time maybe Sam Darnold was because of the personality stuff. 
But after watching Brandon Bean gush over him, and it, and it all kind of came to a head when you know, we, we talked a bit about on the last podcast about the ridiculousness of weather playing into what quarterback you should draft because, what do you get, one or two games where there's actually a weather situation? So when I asked Bean, and like, uh, why would that be a part of your thinking if they're if the large majority are in a dome or in nice weather? And when he said, if we played in a dome, we were still drafting Josh Allen, meaning, to me, that was their guy all along. Which, I, yeah, they uh, maybe a, may a bit of a slip-up there yeah, um, because he, you know, made it sound like they were drafting Josh Allen no matter what, right. that, that that was the guy they wanted. And they may have identified a few of them as franchise quarterbacks, but sure. I think once the Browns passed on Josh Allen, because the Browns seemed like the only other team that had that were legitimately tied to him. Well, the Cardinals too. And the Cardinals, the mm-hmm. only team ahead of the Bills that were legitimately tied to him. And that's yeah. why I think they felt like they could wait uh, and make that move. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was the top quarterback on their board. We may never know exactly what it looked like, but the the way they've acted and the way they've spoken since making the pick suggests that he was, if not the top guy, number two. And I think he was probably right at the top. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably went Allen, Darnold, because we can we can guess, why not? Allen, Darnold, Mayfield, Rosen. I think that was the order. Yeah, I think it was it makes sense because they didn't act with any conviction on Rosen when mm-hmm. he was falling and they probably could have stayed put and had a really good shot at Rosen. They could have stayed put and not given up much at all for Rosen. And it was pretty clear, you know, that around the league, people knew that Rosen was going to fall mm-hmm. at least into the back half of the top 10. And if you, if they were even close on your board, you're not giving up two second round picks. Nope. And especially when you look because at the price the Cardinals paid, you're giving up what a fourth to move up two right. spots and taking Josh Rosen, keeping all your day two picks and getting after it. If and you especially have any, any, if they're even close, right? And especially because the Cardinals seem to be in on Josh Allen as well, the Buccaneers probably said, "Well, we can get a future first out of him. How can you beat that?" And hey, you know what? Uh, what they get outdone on the value chart by like 400 points or something like that. I think that was a pretty good indicator that they probably had some heat from the Cardinals as well. Um, because otherwise, going from 12 to 7, you should have been able to do that for 53 and 65. You wouldn't have, have had to given up your second round pick for that. But I guess they felt so strongly, to your point, they felt so strongly about Josh Allen that they gave up both of those relatively early selections on day two because they didn't want to miss out on the guy that they coveted more than anything else. And for that and Lamar point... Lamar Jackson wasn't even in the conversation. No, sure I mean, wasn't. the fact that he fell all the way to 32 yeah. shows you how a lot of the league felt about him and, and the Buffalo Bills included. It's just sad, really, it, because he could be really good. And I, and he's with Greg Roman and, and, and Marty Morningwig. I so. bet you he gets in that starting lineup before too long down in Baltimore. I wouldn't be surprised if the two quarterbacks taken last in the first round, Rosen and Jackson, are the best. The best? Interesting. When it's all said and done, I wouldn't be surprised. They could play earliest, although Hugh Jackson has basically said Baker Mayfield's not going to play, and I think Sam Darnold strikes me that he could beat out but Josh McCown is just such an institution there at this point after the last few mm-hmm. years of of you know they they invested quite a bit in him this offseason they showed how they felt about him so see I don't think Rosen's gonna play this year I think they're gonna go in with Bradford that just strikes me the way uh, just listening to Steve Wilkes a, a little bit that kind of strikes me and Lamar Jackson way he is. probably isn't getting on the field barring injury no um, no not this but, year so we may be in a situation where Josh Allen's the first one to see the field. Mm-hmm. Because the Browns, I think you said it, they, they've already committed to Tyrod. So, I mean, it's all, it's a very good shot. And I'll tell you what, like, I don't know. It's, I don't I don't think it's because he got drafted here. But Allen, as a prospect, has grown on me a little bit. Just a little bit. I am still, still have reservations. I, I, we talked about it a lot. I still think he's a or solid first-round prospect. And 
I mean, he has, he does some rare stuff, but I don't know. It seems like they've got uh, they've got their ducks in a row on this, and the way that they went into it, and the fact that Brian Dable has a Josh Allen specific plan already in place. That's another way to kind of think, hey, he was probably their top guy all along if you have this detailed plan in place for someone with Josh Allen's skill set. I just wonder if um, if maybe his the fact that he went through all of those poor performances with, you know, not not the greatest teammates around him, I wonder if maybe his best days are ahead of him. I think there's a legitimate possibility there there is. But also, he has to prove some things from a mental side. And that's going to be his biggest hurdle more than anything. And it, unless he conquers that, unless he is able to not only do the work in the film room, but unless he's able to come out there and actually show it. Not in training camp practices. Because you can get tricked in training camp practices. Tyrod Taylor and EJ Manuel sometimes looked all-world in training camp practices. But when it gets into the preseason... And you give him a legitimate amount of, of reps. And, and that's he, a big he, question. And will he, he get a legitimate amount of reps? Yes, he In will. terms of with the ones. He, uh, he's going to get some reps. If he manipulates defenders with his eyes, and if he throws with anticipation rather than, oop, caught it late, I'm just going to zing it in there with my arm, which is what he did at Wyoming, then he's not ready if he doesn't, if he doesn't uh, you know, I guess, evolve in that way. So... I, I don't know. He's he's grown on me a tad, but I'm still I, I'm still hesitant to say, eh, just chuck him out there right away. He he needs to prove quite a bit. Yeah, I think we, you know, in previous conversations before the draft, considered him a a first round guy. Absolutely. And situation was probably going to be more important for him than a Josh Rosen, which is why Josh Rosen was, you know, higher for me. Is just there were fewer variables that you had to worry about Mm -hmm. but I think there is something to the fact that he's going through a lot before he even takes an NFL snap he like you mentioned sort of ran for his life and played with some pretty bad receivers yeah Uh, I know it's talked about and excuses you know can only go so far Placement was an issue. The accuracy wasn't all on his teammates, but he did play with some bad receivers last year. But then everything he went through in the pre-draft process, sort of getting raked over the coals uh, as, you know, being labeled a bust before he ever, Mm -hmm. you know, had a chance to get drafted, before we even knew where he was going in the the process. I'm not sure there is another first-round quarterback I can think of within the past 10 or 15 years where there are are less expectations than for Josh Allen. It's and I think I think he might thrive because of that fact. It's kind it, of it's kind of interesting. Because go back to 2011 when you know I think there were fewer Twitter draft people, draft Twitter analysts and right. things of that nature. So maybe that just the Blaine Gabbert criticism and Jake Locker and Christian Ponder criticism was on some forum somewhere that, that for, we weren't watching. For but. the record, I know you're wearing a Mizzou shirt right now, but I did not like Blaine Gabbert back in the day. And that was, I was a freshman at Mizzou at that <laughs> point, so that was a long time ago. But I don't remember that class being nearly as scrutinized as this one. And in fact, there were people that thought Blaine Gabbert was going to be the number one pick for a while and deserved it. So Gross. I think, you know, and Jake Locker was similarly flawed. You know, he's drawn comparisons or Josh Allen's drawn comparisons to Jake Locker. Christian Ponder was never really, you know, that type of talent, and he went in the first round. So He looked like a second or third rounder all the way, and I, I believe that was the first year of the – it was right after the lockout. It, it was, was the new CBA. It was the new CBA. was Sam Bradford. And uh, because they had the fifth-year option. So there were, the mindset of teams was, crap. Let's, let's go get our guy. Yeah, let's yeah. go overdraft. We we guys. can't we we aren't going to spend a lot on quarterback because it's a defined amount. Let's just freaking draft them as early as possible. And teams got into trouble. The, but, Titan, the Titans and the Vikings both did. But they were never the like Josh Allen was so unique in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen other guys get you know other prospects get criticized, but I don't remember seeing one quite like that. At least on Twitter and even locally, uh, he was getting hammered as you know 
please don't draft this guy. But mm-hmm. part of that, you know, that was again, happening in every fan base that needed a yeah, quarterback everywhere, all over the place. And you know, look at the replies to when they the tweet they sent out when they picked him. I mean, mm-hmm. it was overwhelmingly negative. So you're looking at a guy who went through what he did on the field in the fall, who went through what he did in the pre-draft process, gets picked to a team and is immediately hated by the fan base. They're starting to come around, but a lot of people just hated the pick. You knew they would. Uh, well, of course. You, you know, knew they everybody, would. you got to talk yourself into it if you got season tickets. You're, you're, you, you need a reason to go to the stadium. When I saw excited. people talking themselves into EJ back in 13, I'm like, people, are gonna, people in Buffalo are going to come around to Josh Allen. It won't take too long. And sure enough, like, I don't know, 12 hours after the pick, it's like, I got a couple tweets like, oh, I'm starting to like this guy. Oh, yeah, well, well, well no crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's a Buffalo Bill now. Yeah. I mean, you've, got but, some, uh, you've got some bias now. But so he's gone through that. He went through the you know everything with the tweets uh, in the, the final hours of Which, by the, way, the Tim, biggest day of his life. Tim Graham, great story yeah. on Josh Allen and with that. I think an important one, too, mm-hmm. to you know get the full story and hear some of what the Bills heard uh, that made them comfortable, I think, with the pick. You go, you put all of that on him, and now it's like, now he finally gets to just play football, yeah. learn the offense, and so he has to go through all of that. While so he's now trying to win over a fan base, you know, win back his teammates because of tweets he made when he was 17 years old, and he's got to learn an offense, and he has to learn how to play quarterback. So he's got mm-hmm. a lot going on, but I think they were confident in the the person uh, in terms of overcoming when bad things happen, bouncing back, which is an important quality to have as a quarterback. So maybe he can, you know, thrive under that. But that's part of why I say, you know, and I, I'm of the opinion, get him out there as soon as possible. And for a few reasons, one being, I think he's built to handle it in a weird way. I don't think he's as big of a project. I think the label project, you know, gets put on too many of these guys. Yeah, you're right. The idea that there were, I've seen people say he's got to sit two years. Mid-round guys are more projects right. than first-round guys. Right, Jones, I mean, EJ well, not Manuel the case of EJ. Was, was a fourth-round prospect who got picked in the first round. He but sure was. Project, you know, when people say Josh Allen needs to sit for two years and learn, that does not happen anymore Mm -mm. and they cannot afford for that to happen i would argue they can't afford for him to sit all of 2018 because Mm -hmm. look at the jump that jared goff and carson wentz made in their second years in the league and carson wentz was on the field a lot earlier than jared goff in his rookie season but the pressure is going to be on this team in a certain way in 2019 Mm -hmm. and 2018 will probably be a little bit of a freebie they're eating a lot of dead money on the cap. They just made the playoffs. They've bought themselves some goodwill with the fan base, a lot of goodwill with ownership. Mm-hmm. And they have a rookie quarterback and a young roster. So people know that it's going to take some time. They have quite literally delivered on every promise they've made so far. Exactly. So they've got plenty of Say what you will here. about the popularity of the quarterback pick. They got their quarterback. Terry and Kim Pagula don't care about that. And they, they just... like, they love it. Kim Pagula last night after the Sabres won the lottery yep. said best weekend ever, which I kind of chuckled because it's like you just made the playoffs a couple yeah. months ago, but they feel <laughs> like point. the future of their, or, well, and you also just bought this team a couple of years <laughs> right. ago. So, but they feel like the future of their franchises are set. Josh Allen. They just got their franchise quarterback, they think. And Rasmus Dahlin. And Rasmus Dahlin is now the future franchise defenseman. So they feel really good about this. Mm-hmm. So, 2018 is a little bit of a, a freebie. So you have to see what you've got because, like we said, the clock is ticking on Josh Allen. And if by 2019 he's not making a jump, that's when you're going to start to get questioned for that pick right. because, as we talked about, he's getting judged against Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. And when you look at what Goff and Wentz did, when you look at what Watson did last year, what Mahomes did in limited action, you start to realize, okay, these guys can make an impact pretty early. 2019, they're going to have a ton of money to spend. They're going to be expected to contend. 
Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate in his second year in the league. Mm -hmm. And not to say that that's what Josh Allen has to be, but when you're a top 10 pick, you know, that's what you're, that's what's expected of you. And he's been compared to Carson Wentz a few times. Plus the fact, I mean, on top of the cap room, on top of, you know, them having goodwill this year and perhaps not as much in 2019, They've also maintained all of their 2019 picks through this draft, which means if this is a year where they kind of bump down a little bit, which is very much a possibility. I mean, who knows what happens at the quarterback position and how much it holds them back, If it, whether it's Allen or, or Peterman or A.J. McCarron starting the games. Who knows how, how much the offensive line and the wide receivers are going to hold them back. And we'll, we'll have to find out. But that said, it could very well end in a top five or a top 10 pick if things go really poorly. And I mean, they do have some talent in areas. Their front seven, I think, is pretty good now. Uh, Now that they've addressed some issues, they still have a a couple of things to address here. It's strong side linebacker and some depth behind Kyle Williams. But in their secondary was rock solid last year. And so, but if the offense doesn't step up, then the defense can be as good as you want, and you're still not putting up points. So uh, to have those resources, the the first and second round picks that will probably, could very well be high picks and all that cap room, it all leads into your point. I mean, Josh Allen should be able to show signs of legitimate life at that point in 2019. So it was really... uh, Quite, quite an anomaly this year that Kansas City kept Patrick Mahomes off the field for the, for well, the most part. they were part. winning, and right. they had a quarterback right. who, you know, they paid a good amount of money and who had been starting for them for a while. And I bet you the Texans had every intention of keeping Deshaun Watson on the sideline, but Tom Savage went out and Tom Savaged. Pretty much. I mean, the the Texans also didn't do Tom Savage any favors by putting him back out there after an aggressive concussion. Right. (laughs) But that said, I mean, they they probably didn't want to put Deshaun Watson out there that quickly. But look what happened when they did. They looked as dynamic an offense in the NFL. And it just goes to show from one quarterback to the next, when Tom Savage is your, your starter, you're one of the worst offenses in the league. You have the same exact personnel, same exact offensive line. Deshaun Watson gets in there, and you're putting up freaking five touchdowns a game. And so that's that's how important, just a microcosm of how important the quarterback position is. So if there's any single thought in your mind that says, hey, maybe Josh Allen might do better at this. Or maybe maybe it would be it would be it would benefit us. But it has to be under the right terms, and I think the mental side that I mentioned before has to be in check here where he's making strides in that area too yeah the one concern i have is that he doesn't throw with a ton of anticipation yet and he's not going to have receivers that are going to create separation kelvin benjamin isn't a guy that creates separation zay jones created very little separation as a rookie and they did nothing to add to that spot and so those what are you talking about austin prole those and ray e- ray mcleod <laughs> those Come easy throws aren't going to be there jeremy Curley, but the Rob offensive Streeter, line sorry. situation, I, lo- I kind of like Josh Allen playing behind a line that, not that it's, obviously it's preferred that he play behind the best line in the league, Yeah, but he's kind of the quarterback you want to make up for deficiencies on the offensive line. He can make some special plays when, when he's like... His pocket presence yeah. kind of stinks, but he, always, he sees pressure sometimes before it's there, and, you know... But when it's chaos, he can break tackles Mm -hmm. and almost react instead of think and almost looks a little bit better sometimes. So he broke more tackles in the pocket than any quarterback not named Lamar Jackson last year. So I think he's not as far off as a lot of people want to think. And we just went down the list of things that he's gone through already to get to this point. If you're afraid that, oh, you're going to, ruin the kid if you throw him out there i mean i don't know grow up he's the he's the franchise quarterback mm-hmm. if he's going to be ruined by getting sacked a few times and having a tough year he was going to be ruined no matter what i mean peyton manning matthew stafford look at go down the list of guys that had disaster rookie years true that turned out okay yeah uh the guys that didn't probably weren't going to turn out okay no matter what uh, you can either get through that stuff or you can't. And 
it's a pretty important part of being a franchise quarterback. Now, I'm not saying throw the kid out there, you know, way before he's obviously ready and just let him get destroyed. But I've maintained if you pick a guy in the top 10 and he can't beat out A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman, what did you pick? You know, I mean, you should be able to beat out those guys. You're right. The lone exception, I think, maybe for a guy that got crushed his rookie season and was never the same that probably could have been pretty good was David Carr. I think I think he was in a he very beat, rare instance. And he got beat to an extreme degree. I mean, it was an like, expansion team, and he just got crushed every single week. And he's not a mobile guy either. So I think he could have been at least a little bit better than he was based on the talent around him. But, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think Allen, he needs to show some life this year. He needs to inject some... I guess some optimism from the fan base in terms of what he can do and what the potential that he shows. I I am going to sit here and predict this right now. He is going to do something absolutely extraordinary in the preseason. Maybe against second teamers, but it doesn't matter in the preseason. People don't care because all they see is, oh my God, that's eye candy. I can't believe he just made that throw. He's going to do something so extraordinary that fans are just going to be in from that point forward. I mean, there's going to be some fans that go to training camp, but the first time fans really see it with their own eyes is, a, is that first preseason game. It might not be that one, might be the second one, might be the third one, but he's going to do something really stinking extraordinary. And I think at that from that point forward, the pressure on the Bills, from the fan base, from the media, whatever, is going to be on as to when he gets in the lineup, because A.J. McCarron is a placeholder. There, I mean, He is a professional placeholder at this point, and I know he probably doesn't want to think that way, but he is. I mean, he signed for way less than he wanted to. It's a really bad contract based on the way that other guys were getting paid. I mean, Sam Bradford just got $18 million for the 40th time, it seems like, in this league, and... Well, think about now, this. Now McCarron is here in a situation where he's just kind of keeping the seat warm. Think about this. They were okay not signing AJ. Right. They were okay with that scenario, which tells you what? That they were okay putting the rookie quarterback in. Or they're really big on the Peterman getting some starts. The Peterman could sneak in there. But they probably knew that Allen was their guy at that point, and they were okay with the, the idea because they didn't force AJ McCarron. He kind of fell into their lap a little bit. Mm -hmm. And yesterday, now before the draft, remember we talked about Sean McDermott's body language when Josh Allen's name was mentioned? Right. So yesterday, when I was, I asked Brandon Bean like three questions in a row about Josh Allen, when he would be ready and things like that. Sean McDermott's body language was a little funky during it, if you go back and watch. Um, And I don't know exactly what it was i think he was just brandon bean offered up a little more than i think sean mcdermott would have which is what i think uh was the case talking about the rpos and everything like that i think he didn't so i asked brandon bean would you know does josh allen have a legitimate chance to win the job or would you prefer if he sit and learn for a year Mm -hmm. and he said if he wins the job he wins the job which I think Sean McDermott's always reluctant to sort of go that far. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not going to get into it. It's too early, blah, blah, blah. Brandon Bean said, if he wins the job, he wins the job. There's going to be 52 other guys out there. And if he's clearly better, we can't do that. We wouldn't do that at any other position, and we can't do that. Mm -hmm. And then when I asked, you know, about Brian Dable's role and building an offense around him and things like that, uh, you know, he got into some pretty good detail about how Brian Dable had this, the specific plan and, you know, how, you know, they need to, which again, goes back to the point of, Oh, all this work that AJ and Nathan have put in (laughs) and an offense that's going to be built for Josh Allen. So, (laughs) right. You know, good for them. Uh, Thanks for putting in the work fellows. Yeah. About that, uh, about that timing and accuracy, AJ, right. You got to be able to sling at 60 yards one of these times. And then the traits, you know, I asked, uh, you know, Brandon being more for concepts that Allen runs well instead of just the traits. Mm-hmm. And he brought up the RPOs. He brought up the athleticism to make some plays. Yeah, and being under center was another being thing. Being under center about. was another thing he talked about. 
And the whole time, Sean was kind of kept shifting in his chair, kept he's grabbing doing, at his. He grabs at his ear. He was doing this with his shirt. He does too. this with his shirt. Mm-hmm. He he, you know, he grabs at the shirt. He grabs at his ear. He'll put his hand over his mouth. All these little things that were like, please stop asking questions about Josh Allen. Be careful. Somebody might tip him off because talking about this body language. Because, stuff. you know, and what is it? My main question and hesitation there is. Is Sean McDermott really going to hand the keys to this kid? How soon is he going to hand the keys to this right. kid? Because we know Brandon Bean's all in. Brandon Bean <laughs> seems ready to hand the keys to this kid and see what he's got. And Brandon Bean did say they're not going to rush him, and they shouldn't. You know, if he's not ready week one, he's not ready. But when, you know, is Sean going to be a little bit reluctant to, you know, pull the trigger, and get the clock started on this kid. If Nathan Peterman somehow becomes the starting quarterback week one, we'll, we'll know that Sean uh, is Because it's going to be Sean McDermott's call. Yeah, it is. But this is where... Because he look, has no real, like, uh, no real, I guess, commitment to A.J. McCarron other, other than... Uh, you know, other he, than all the work he's put in stretching the he, last couple of weeks. He's settled for a free agent deal with us. That's really the only sort of connection they have to him right now. But it's interesting just because everything to this point has been, you know, we talked about all the goodwill they have in the fan base and how, you know, everything's been sort of copacetic with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean because they're friends and they worked together previously. So you have two guys that are on the same page and working in cohesion with one another for the first time in a long time around here. But the fact of the matter is, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott got where they are because they're competitive alpha types. And is there any relationship around the league that doesn't at some point have a little bit of a yeah. power struggle? It should. And a little, it should because <laughs> th- those two guys are super competitive. And, you know, it's not to say that one of these guys is going to want more power than the other. It's just that this is the most significant issue that has faced the team, mm-hmm. the quarterback. They now have that quarterback. We assume that they were on the same page with the quarterback pick. You know, we'll never know otherwise. You don't uh, think uh, McDermott would have wanted Darnold more? See, that's why I say we assume. We don't know at this point, maybe a few years down the road, that's yeah. something that one of them would be willing to divulge. It's but also very interesting because based on a personality standpoint, you would think that Darnold is, is McDermott's guy. And the fact that, you know, Bean was full bore on, on uh, Allen made made it sound like eh, this, this, this was his call. I mean, who knows? Sean McDermott, if he were running it, may have just sat at 12, picked Tremaine Edmonds, and waited to take Mason Rudolph. Ugh. He's very conservative in a lot of na- in a lot of ways. True. So Bean so, balances him out very well. He needs well. that. Yeah, good point. Um, but my point is this issue is going to co- nobody's going to be necessarily exactly on the same page and let's also not discount the role that ownership will play in this mm-hmm. because there was a report about how infatuated Terry Pagula was with Josh Allen and he's the one that probably has his pulse on the fan base and the optics more than anybody you know it seems like Sean and Brandon have some tunnel vision about this. So, you know, at some point, there's it's going to come a time where it's like, yeah, Sean McDermott makes the lineup decisions, mm-hmm. but it's going to start getting to the point where it's like, okay, Sean, like, it's time to get him out there. And I, I'm interested to see how all of that goes down because I think he really does need to get out there sooner rather than later. However, I mean, playing into all of this, though, Sean also... Out of nowhere, bench Tyrod right. for Nathan Peterman. <laughs> his guy, though. True, Tyrod but not but now Josh. But now Josh Allen is his guy. But True. so is Peterman. That's why there's there's you know weird dynamic at play yeah. with, and they have more decisions to make like that that are going to be tough. Kelvin Benjamin's in the final year of his deal. What do you do with him? He's your guy until he commands, you know, X amount of dollars, and and you let him go. But to this point, they've really only let go of guys that weren't really their guys outside with the exception of Kalen Clay. I mean, we'll see how Kelvin Benjamin bounces back from that. Knee yeah. That'll be stuff. a big, you know, factor in determining, but all his classmates are signing for big contracts. But if he's uh, just looking like nothing more than a, 
a number the, two, yeah, like a, a like red a zone guy. Number two or a tight end. I mean, right. there's just there's no reason to give him that type of money. But it, it creates all sorts of interesting questions because the clock is now ticking on Josh Allen, but it's also ticking on Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean because if Josh Allen isn't any good, then you know the rest of the team better be really good because they'll want to know sooner than later because if he's not great then let's say we get three years down the line after the 2020 season and if Allen has shown no signs of improvement and they're still kind of hanging on kind of going seven and nine eight and eight sort of thing they'll be like hey you know we have the team Terry and Kim we have the team around him he just hasn't really panned out give us another crack let us Rick Spielman this thing it could be Rick Spielman, I think, too, about Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. But they also brought in other they did, help they did for Dave Caldwell. Tom Coughlin yeah. and Doug Marone. But at some point, that became they were also bottoming out just year after year. And they had to do something. But True. Shad Khan kind of reminds me of, you know, inexperienced owner when he took over, was willing to tear it down and get two guys that were on the same page that he really believed in. We talked about it yesterday uh, in the media room. I think four more years of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. I think is it's my, fair. At least. I'm not saying they're going to get fired after four years. I'm saying I think that I don't even think after 2020, if they haven't shown huge signs of progress, I don't know that Terry Pagula is going to pull the trigger and uh, fire these guys because they built up a lot of goodwill with the, um, with the playoff berth. Mm-hmm. And this quarterback pick, a guy that Terry Pagula has a lot of faith in and really likes. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, he'll probably be willing to listen to that hypothetical conversation you talk about. Just, let's just see what Josh can do now that we've got the team around. Him. Right. You know, because he's pro- and this is where, you know, it gets into. All right. You know, these are there's such an attachment now to Josh Allen and mm-hmm. so much riding on him. Same with Terry Pagula with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. There's an attachment there on a human level. These are his guys that worked, that got him that first playoff berth as an owner. The only, his best move yet as an owner. The only people that he has fired within both organizations have been ones that have just not worked right away. Obviously, too. Yep. Like, failed in spectacular yep. fashion, yep. which is what... Rex did and Whaley did and you know failed embarrassingly too. Bilesma. Like made them into Murray the object of national scorn. And that's not you know, that was more pride, firing mm-hmm. them out of pride. These guys, it would be, you know, a, a conversation where, you know, I think it would take a little bit more and it would be admitting that they weren't as good as he thought. I mean, this is his best move as an owner is hiring Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. And then by for far, them, so far, and then for them to, in turn, go out and do the exact thing that they promised. And oh, by the way, getting the guy that Terry Pagula seemed to be infatuated with from the draft process, which was Josh Allen, because he could throw the ball eighty-two yards. It's all very interesting, and that is that is for sure. I mean, whether or not um, Allen actually gets some time early this year. We're going to be talking about this for months and months and months, and it's going to seem like forever between now and the start of training camp. But you know, it's it it is kind of right around the corner. It's only a little under three months away. And soon we're going to get to the point where it's exclusively Sean McDermott who's taking the questions. Right. We're pretty much at that point, actually. I don't know. We may get Brandon Bean a. a here and there, yeah. but we're pretty much to the point where Sean McDermott's going to be the one that's going to have to stand there and answer the Josh Allen question mm-hmm. over and over and over again, and he doesn't like doing that. <laughs> He's shown that in the past that, you know, those types of topics, uh, you know, he doesn't like to really entertain those very much. He's so not going to have a choice. He'll sit there and talk about Harrison Phillips until he's blue in the face. Ah, wrestling. And Come on. Tremaine Edmonds, but, you know, when it comes to that, those you know, big time controversial topics, he likes to stay away. It also doesn't help that he's a defensive guy by nature too, rather than an offensive coach. So I think having perhaps Brian Dable be the essential head coach of the offense is, I mean, he, he, he'll know, he knows everything that's going on with his team, but still at the end of the day, it's, there's more than just his decision at play here. I mean, you could sit there and think that Dable would go, 
Sean. He's ready. Josh is ready. Josh needs to be in the lineup. And because also, Dable's reputation is riding on it. If right. Josh Allen's a hit, Dable's getting a head coaching job. No, 100%. So, you know, that's there's a lot of people that have a lot riding on this kid. And, yep. you know, if Josh Allen's not very good, Dable's going to be a position coach again. Yeah, and if Josh Allen's not very good... And Sean McDermott will be a coordinator again. Their, their best chance at living to fight another day, at, at getting another quarterback in here... Get him out there as early as possible. Exactly. And Figure out. out what you have. Don't delay mm-hmm. the inevitable. Yep. Uh, if you want to see what you have, you're. I really think you can't go into the 2018 offseason, 2019 offseason, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you can't go into 2019 not knowing. Yeah. Even the Chiefs got a little taste. They, and, they will. They will. I mean, this, they this, this team be, is not good enough to... A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman haven't shown... They've thrown right. fewer than 200 NFL passes. I don't think they're going to hold this guy off the way Alex Smith did. This team is not good enough right now to sit there and think to themselves that they have a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl as constructed. It's it's just not the case. And the Chiefs did think that. Which, But even the Chiefs had a quarterback controversy. They did. They did, and and, they, as they should have, because Patrick Mahomes showed a lot in the preseason, and Alex Smith, after his five-game fling with being a ridiculously good quarterback, settled back into the exact same guy that we've all known him to be, and you just you can't win with that model. You, I mean, you can win games, but you can't win at all with that model. It's just not it's not going to do it. it. And that that's interesting that I hadn't even thought of this, but Andy Reid being Sean McDermott's mentor... You know, how much does he talk to him about stick by your guns, keep the kid on the bench? Yeah, I think it's, or, a, it's know, a tad of a different situation because Alex Smith had been starting there for better. years and years and, and years. But I also wonder how much input. It's interesting. Like, would Andy Reid offer his input to Sean McDermott sure. on Josh Allen? Be like, yeah, this, this guy's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you should feel pretty good about it. Or would he would he try and talk, they are talk him AFC, off? You know? Would he try and talk him off him getting out? out there too early and be like hey listen my experience never good what did Andy Reid do with Donovan McNabb did he did he bench him great earlier? question that was a, quite a long time ago yeah uh, I, I I don't recall well, it's really as easy as Donovan McNabb stats pro football reference because Donovan McNabb is one of the examples of a quarterback who was not super accurate who still got by and had a pretty good NFL career. His first year, he started six games, played in a total of 12. So they brought him along slowly. And so he could, was a guy that needed a lot of work with his accuracy. That could be some evidence right there. Obviously a long time ago in a different time. But and oh, by the way, Donovan McNabb's career uh, completion percentage, 59. Right, that's what I mean. And he was one of the... and. I don't know. Maybe this is just me. Uh, I wasn't watching the game as closely as I do now, but I remember Donovan McNabb consistently being a guy you could win with. A lot of fun. And, you know, they got to a Super Bowl with him, mm-hmm. got on the doorstep of the Super Bowl many times with him. He was definitely a, a fun guy to watch and a legitimate franchise quarterback for a long, long time. So, you know, that is probably he's one of the examples of a guy that wasn't that accurate in college wasn't that accurate in the NFL, and it still worked out because he made a ton of big plays with his arm and and with his legs. Favre was one of those guys as well that was not... Uh... Stafford is another one, yep. though. He did hit 60%, and he was in the SEC, but still, I mean, mm-hmm. they're out there. There's a few examples. It's I know that you know the you know stats and the probability suggest that a guy doesn't change who he is, but like we talked about on Thursday night after the first round is if he hits a lot of big plays, you can live with the mistakes, mm-hmm. the, the missed throws here and there. Yep. And he does have the built-in crutch of being a really good runner. Um, you know, he's not Lamar Jackson, but he can move. you telling me it could turn into Blake Bortles versus the Bills in the playoffs? <laughs> he, and he's <laughs> better at breaking tackles than Blake Bortles is. Yeah. Maybe not quite as swift of foot as young no. Blake, but um, but that's the other thing is you know the Jaguars have managed to hang on. Dave Caldwell's employed because everybody else he picked turned out pretty good besides Blake Bortles and Luke Jokel. That's right. But you know they got within a game of the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles. So stranger things have happened than Josh Allen transforming into a guy that can 
get you deep into the playoffs. And so it begins, Bills fans. The uh, the Josh Allen era is here. And now it's just a matter of how long it takes for him to get in the lineup. Get used to this topic. It's not going away anytime soon. And he literally got drafted four days ago. So uh, buckle up because it's it's happening and it's going to happen quite a bit. We're not going to do that every single episode. Don't 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 uh, don't think that we're just going to go right into hot takeville every single episode. But uh, you know, I think I think it's a topic that will pop up as we kind of go along here. All right, everybody, uh, that's going to do it for us on this episode of the Bills Beat. The draft is now done, and the Bills have their franchise quarterback and a lot of other pieces to work with as well. So for Matthew Fairburn of NewYorkUpstate.com, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you next week. See ya.